0: Well, good evening and welcome to this installment of the TCU Neely School of Business Real Estate Webinar. Uh, My name is Carl Pankratz and I'm an adjunct professor at TCU and I'm also the president and managing director of Black Acre Commercial, the sponsor for today's event. So today we're going to do something a little different. We're going to use viewer questions that we've received over the year and within the last couple of weeks. Uh, answer those and uh, discuss a little bit about what we saw and what we plan to see in 2021. So Christina couldn't join us today uh, to talk about all the great things happening at TCU, but uh, I can say from from my viewpoint that it is a it really is an exciting time uh, to be a frog. Uh, you know, if you're ever interested in, in pursuing an MBA, now really is a good time. Um, especially, you know, sometimes when The economy is at its most difficult. That's the best time to start getting some skills and retrain. And uh, I know right now, you know, I'm lucky enough to work with a lot of great other professors at TCU. And and I'd highly recommend the program. Obviously, if you have any questions, you can let me know or you can catch Christina next week. But uh, a lot of great things are happening at TCU. And if you've ever thought about pursuing your MBA, now might be a good time to do it. So with that, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, multifamily and some of the other commercial real estate types we've dealt with this year. And to help me with this process, I brought the vice president of operations for Blackacre, Holly, to join us. Hi. So Holly uh, is a UTA grad, and uh, she is uh, involved still heavily in the oil and gas sector. And she does a lot at Blackacre and. She's uh, been great for, for putting these podcasts and is responsible for getting them out every week. So you did a great job, Holly, and we appreciate you having today.
1: I'm excited to be here.
0: Oh, great. Uh, with that, uh, we'll, we'll kind of go off. You know, I, I was looking up to present um, to a commercial brokerage group a few weeks ago. And uh, I'll just kind of go over some of the slides that, that I presented to them. And uh, then we'll go with viewer questions. So kind of going to the slides. You know, the first question is kind of, you know, what what effect uh, does the election have or, you know, what, what are some of the, the, the potential effects that the election has? And I want to go back to 2016 and uh, I'll never forget. So, uh, you know, 2016, when Trump was elected, uh, I had two uh, loans under application, Fannie Mae loans, uh, you know, roughly about thirty eight million uh, under application. And at that point in September, I want to say that the 10-year treasury was around 1.59%. Well, between September and then Trump winning the election, uh, it, the treasury rate, it skyrocketed. I think it it increased about 75 bips. So that was a everybody hold on, do what you can to get deals done. Um, everybody was just negotiating and mad and it was a a shock to the system to have an interest rate, you know, increase that substantial. Haven't really seen that in 2020. Um, A lot of views, one view could be that in 2016, nobody really knew what they had in Trump versus in 2020, some might think they know what they have in Biden. So the markets um, didn't really move accordingly. So that might be, you know, one issue. You know, second issue is Um, Obviously, you're starting to see a lot of positive vaccine news with, you know, as the vaccine news has kind of grew, um, you've started to see uh, more confidence in the market. And a lot of times the stock market isn't a view of today. It's a view of the future. So um, you have continued to see the stock market do well um, accordingly. You know, interest rates have increased, but they really haven't gotten over that one percent threshold. Uh, you know, you've you've seen a number of instances where it started increasing uh, to about that 1% treasury threshold. This is on the 10-year treasury, uh, but they have kind of slowly backed down. So, you know, they're kind of hovering a little under that. So, again, you know, the 75 BIP increase we saw in 2016, you really haven't seen that in 2020. And there's a lot of people that might say you might not see that for a while. The future is something that, you know, we really can't. Uh, overlooked the fact that, you know, the economy, although the stock market looks good, it still isn't a pretty big hole. There still are a lot of states that have, you know, pretty extensive lockdowns and and obviously that's affected their employment. Um, And, you know, this isn't, you know, just a U.S. problem. This is a worldwide problem. I, uh, you know, I come to, you know, come to this, my mom is Brazilian, as a lot of you guys know, and I was born in Barbados. And, and really neither Brazil or Barbados have a power enough Fed that they can just pump, you know, a trillion dollar trillion dollars into the economy. You know, both of them you know, really rely on tourism. And uh, that's obviously something they're not seeing today. So, uh, you know, for a lot of instances, yes, you are seeing a lot of positive news, but there hasn't been the uptick because there is still a little bit uh, little ways to go. On the multifamily lending front, biggest news really came out uh, towards the end of the year of, you know, from FHFA. Um, FHFA, for those of you that don't know, is really the governing body uh, that oversees Fannie and Freddie. They're the, the, the governmental agency that oversees those. And uh, they came out with some pretty big changes. Um, you know, a couple of those I note here. Uh, number one, they reduced the Fannie and Freddie overall spending caps from 80 billion to 70 billion. So that entail means that Fannie and Freddie each have about 10 billion less to work with. Um, another, another move they made was affordable housing. So um, affordable housing must account for 50% of their cap versus 37.5% in 2020. So of all the loans that they do this year, so you have 70 billion, out of that 70 billion, 50% of that needs to be affordable housing. Um, and, and and that's a sharp change from being 35.5% the year before. So you, you, you see an increase there where there's going to need to be real true affordable housing. And the affordable housing definition has changed. It's uh, really 80% AMI or below. Another change is that 20% of this cap, again, going back to the 70 billion cap. So 20% of that must be 60% AMI income or below. So, um, Though 20% of those units need to be rented to people making 60% of area median income or below, so those are some pretty big changes on both a reduction in overall lending and then how that cap needs to be spent. But that you know, for those of you that are familiar with watching past episodes, uh, Fannie and Freddie are also really big in manufactured housing, and one of the true benefits of manufactured housing investment when you're looking at Fannie and Freddie. Or you uh, get rates that are deemed affordable, uh, no matter you know how you know whether that uh, mobile that manufactured housing community is located in Malibu or some of these other high end areas that are getting pretty significant rents just by it being manufactured housing, it was deemed affordable. What does that mean? It means lower interest rates than even what apartment owners get. So if you're an apartment owner, um, typically you can do green upgrades or you can be affordable, and then you get the, the, pricing reduction on interest rate. Well, in a lot of cases, manufactured housing got that pricing reduction just by back, just by de facto being manufactured housing, that is no longer uh, necessarily in place. So moving forward, um, you don't have that de facto affordable. Um, it, 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 there's a, there's a, a few different boxes you have to check in order to get that treatment. So you're still going to get great interest rates. It just might not be as low. So that's just another change. But in today's environment, Interest rates are pretty low, so it's not going to really significantly affect uh, the business plans necessarily today. And I do want to say, though, that in the past, Fannie and Freddie have both made reductions in their spending cap only to increase it later into the year. So if there is a boom in activity, then there, you might see uh, a change in, in the 70 billion cap to maybe a little bit more. Biggest elephant in the room in the apartment industry really is the eviction moratorium. Uh, So in the CARES Act uh, that was passed, you know, really one of the first stimulus bills, the CARES Act, it had an eviction moratorium in it, but only for those that took uh, federal funds, meaning really those that are Fannie, Freddie, or HUD borrowers. So if you were alive, if you, if your debt on your apartment complex was, via a life company or a debt fund um, or a bank, then you weren't necessarily, uh, you know, I I will say you weren't necessarily under that eviction moratorium. Well, the CDC, uh, when they came out with their order, that changed it. You know, the CDC's order really was the first eviction moratorium uh, that affected all apartments. Um, And so, you know, that is something that's kind of been in place, but was set to expire um, well, that's no longer the case. You know, with the new federal stimulus, it was passed three days ago, two days ago now. Um, that c- CDC order has been extended to January 31st. So that eviction moratorium still stays in play. So, you know, what what we've seen a few, you know, there's a few obviously broad strokes that you can take that, take from that. Number one is that kind of both Fannie and Freddie are still doing COVID reserves. And that likely won't change until at least the end of January 31st. So that's still in effect. But then two, um, you know, as you're an investor, uh, you know, really one of the first things you look at on a T12, which, you know, a trending 12 profit loss statement uh, really is that bad debt expense. Um, if you're starting to see a lot of bad debt add up, that might be a cue to you that, hey, there might be people that are staying in place, but not paying their rent. Um so that really is a number to continue to really focus on uh because you know it is it has been extended to January 31st but there are some that believe that it will be extended longer um so you know obviously that's all stuff to kind of you know keep attuned on you know especially as you're an owner or investor in multifamily So before you know kind of end this you know a couple things to kind of tune in on we'll go through different lending types uh life companies uh you know they Obviously, you know, probably November, December, they really stopped quoting. Uh, really, maybe November, October, stopped quoting deals that were going to close for 2020. But they are definitely back in business for 2021. Uh, you know, with a lower cap, with more money being dedicated to affordable housing, um, there might be more avenues for life companies and some of these other groups to take a bigger, bigger market share of the business. So, life companies. Uh, you know, I, I say they're, you know, for, for B-class and maybe really B-minus, but really B and B-plus apartments, there aren't a lot of live companies that play in that space. But the ones that they do, um, they're just, they're, they're, their terms, are they're, they're just flexible. You know, they're willing to work with you typically on prepay. Um, they can do a five-year hold. They rate lock at application. Um, there's a lot of benefits doing live companies. So um, they will be a player in 2021. Um, obviously, they they might have more demand, um, and so they have a pool of money that once it runs out, it runs out. So that's something to think about. Um, you know, they all have allocations, so maybe get your deals in early. But um, they will be players, and you know, the key is great rates and flexibility. You know, we talked about Fannie and Freddie, um, some overall deal points. Just remember that in Dallas, you know, you're allowed up to eighty uh, percent loan to value. see, these are on market rate deals. In Houston, they really do try to focus on that 75% LTV, and they really focus on a 130 debt service coverage. So, um, you know, a little different you've seen kind of this year and likely going to see in the next. A um, lot, lot of precedent, you know, now that you've seen a, a more of a devotion in fanning trade to affordable housing, uh, deals with LURAS really might come into play more. Uh, LURAS are restrictions that restrict apartments to having a specific number of units set aside for a specific affordability met- metric. So it can be 20% of the units are going to be set aside for those that are making 60% AMI or below, but you know, really expect there to continue to be a high demand on Lura and you know, really tax credit deals to begin with. Last thing I'll say about Fannie and Freddie is probably in my career, I've probably done more floating rate uh, Freddie Mac deals than I've done at any other point. A lot of demand, especially with the groups that are doing kind of a PREF equity uh, structure. Um, typically, those, stress, those PREF equity providers really like to use Freddie and specifically that Freddie floater. So uh, really continue to see that. And then on the Fannie Mae side, you know, their fixed rate loans continue to be just some of the record lows. I mean, it's still an opportunity to get increasingly low debt. Um, and so, and, and, you know, I get asked all the time, you know, how do you get the full term I.O.? And a lot of times that full term IO, especially if you have a, a property that you know could maybe get up to eighty percent loan to value, but you're willing to take sixty five. You know, a lot of times those are good candidates for it. Um, so typically lower leverage gets you better terms. But listen, in this environment, I can understand that leverage uh, is very important, and we continue to see you know just push where we can push. You know, debt funds, you know, bridge loans. Uh, You know, you saw kind of one of the effects of COVID was the collapse of the CLO market. Um, So with the CLO market collapsing, you saw an increase in what bridge loans were being charged. Uh, You know, that really is starting to slowly come down. You are starting to see, you know, bridge loans come in. Um, You know, they're they're maybe not as low, you know, as they were uh, kind of last year, but they're still pretty low and they're continuing to get lower. Um, so, you know, if you haven't looked at a bridge loan, you know, they still have the three years IO, a lot of times they're non-recourse. Um, but you know, you are really seeing, starting to see spreads tightening. Uh, another benefit though, of a low rate environment are, you know, the rate caps are pricing pretty low as well. So, um, you know, I always say that, you know, kind of take your deal and maybe stress it to a, you know, 1.0 debt service coverage. And that might get you an indication of what you could get on loan amount. So, uh, you know, bridge loans are definitely still in play. CMBS, you know, CMBS is, you know, you you obviously saw that, you know, we talked about the CLO market collapsing. Well, you know, securitizations were in a trouble spot there for a while, especially with movie theaters and retail. Um, But, you know, now you're starting to see, you know, more CMBS loans are being quoted, especially for office retail. You know, hotels, you haven't really seen as much fixed rate. It's been more kind of bridge loans to kind of keep them in business. But um, CMBS is slowly getting back. And HUD, I'll end with HUD. I mean, HUD, you know, obviously, you know, I I specialize in HUD, do a lot of HUD. And, uh, you know, HUD is, a you know, for those in the apartment business, you know, HUD loans are, you know, they allow you a 35-year term with a 35-year amortization. Um, you know, my, that you can get, you know, technically you can get a little bit over 80%, maybe 83%, but they're, you know, where we see them a lot are groups that, you know, maybe that you have a property that's a long-term hold, um, you know, it's it's a, it's a, you know, 35 year, 30, 35 year AM, and then, you know, getting over 80% or right at 80%. I mean, that's that's a pretty special uh, loan opportunity in a lot of cases. And then, you know, I've, I've, I've seen a lot of HUD done, you know, I've, and there's some sub markets that might be, you know, considered a little too rural um, for Fannie or Freddie to get to 80%. Well, that's another good place where maybe if, if they can't get to 80%, HUD potentially can. So that's, you know, on the acquisition side, on the refinance side, um, those are some of the good deal points. Now, even, you know, on a typical acquisition or refi, it is, it is good to keep in mind that they do take about seven to nine months to get closed. So that sometimes is a limiting factor. HUD also has a construction arm, and um, in, in, you know, on a market rate deal, they can get up to eighty-five percent loan to cost in some areas, and that's on a non-recourse loan. Uh, now, in those instances, that you know, on a construction loan, where it might take seven to nine months, on a refinance, we'll say, on a construction, it might take you know a little over twelve months. So again, you have to budget your time accordingly, and and I can go over all the deal uh, aspects of you know of, of of that at a later point, but. Um, You know, HUD, even on the, you know, on the construction side, 85% loan to cost at a very low rate. Those loans are 40 year uh, loans at 40 year AM. So, um, you know, again, very competitive. So that's just a quick rundown of, you know, there is, you know, a lot of stuff going on still. And in 2020 had obviously its fair share of bumps, but um, it does appear that capital markets are really coming back into play. So with that, I'm going to move over to uh, Holly, again, our Vice President of Operations. And uh, Holly, I know you have some questions from the viewers, so uh, let's go ahead and move forward. Now let's pause to hear from today's sponsor.
1: Apartment owners have a lot on their plate. Dealing with lenders doesn't need to be one of them. At Blackacre Commercial, our team is comprised of individuals with high-level experience in real estate law, title insurance, city council, and acquisitions. Thus... Unlike other mortgage brokers, we not only get you a great loan, we get you to close. Whether you are looking for Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, HUD, Bridge, or Life Company loans, we are ready to help. Let Blackacre Commercial's National Network of Lenders and Equity Providers handle your next apartment refinance or acquisition. For more information, give us a call, 806-438-7194, or visit us at blackacrecommercial.com. All right. Um, the first question we have are, what are apartment prices post
0: You know, there's a lot of people that thought that, you know, with March, that there was just going to be a litany of distressed apartments coming online. That just hasn't been the, the, that hasn't been the case. Uh, You know, there are some, you know, Fannie and Freddie, one of the things that they do offer is a forbearance program. And so for for borrowers and those loan types specifically, uh, they do offer some um, temporary relief, uh, to allow you to get caught up. Um, but banks and some of the other lenders have done the same thing. So that really has prolonged uh, the hurt that some thought that, that, that that would be felt in the industry. You know, another thing to kind of compare that to is that, you know, our, you know, as this year's progressed, it was, well, you know, what are rents going to look like in March and then April, and then eventually what are rents going to look like in August and September. And it was just kind of like, are people going to continue to pay? Are tenants going to continue to pay in the interim? For the most part, was was continuing yes, you know, especially in Texas. So, in Texas, uh, you know, you've started to see okay, well, uh, you are having renters now that are are paying in most instances. You have a very low interest rate environment, and there's a lot of money that is you know out there ready to be deployed. So you're you know the you're starting to see cap rates that are lower than than last year uh and you're you're having to take that risk you know prices you know I I saw a deal recently that I remember maybe in 20 2012 2013 it was sold for uh I want to say you know 60 a unit $60,000 a unit this is probably a class C deal 60,000 a unit and then you know maybe 2 to 3 years later it sold for 80,000 a unit and uh you know, before that, I want to say it sold for 30,000 a unit in probably 2010. So in a span of five years, it sold three times and continued to escalate. And, uh, you know, prices all around, you know, almost the, you know, a 4.3 cap on a 1980s property is almost the new six cap uh, <laughs> that was in, available in 2011. So um, I would just say that that right now cap rates in Dallas, 80s vintage, you know, you can probably expect to be paying under a five cap, so somewhere four nine and below um, to to really get in the deal. So it's the question for everybody is okay. Well, you know Dallas and Fort Worth is at a spot to where it really hasn't been this 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 high on a price per unit basis. How high can it continue to go? And that's really the question. Um, so when you're buying today, you know you are buying that you're seeing a lot of growth come and. And with that growth will be future value, but, you know, it definitely is continuing to be a difficult process to be a buyer in this market.
1: All right. Our next question with so much uncertainty, has it been harder for investors to find both debt and equity?
0: Uh, You know, the answer is, is no. Um, You know, I think, you know, we went out recently with a deal for equity and, you know, we, I went out to 50 equity groups and, you know, there was a lot of, there's a lot of interest, you know, out in the marketplace, you know, to, to, to act as preferred equity. Um, now, the question is, is that, you know, if you're buying something at a, at a four or five cap, you know, from a, a Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac perspective, sometimes it's going to be harder to get that 80% leverage, right? So there is a lot of appetite uh, to deploy capital, but a lot of times you're going to be constrained by the financials of the deal. So plenty of cash available, but you know, you're starting to see maybe a, a pref over a 65% loan to value Freddie floater in order to kind of have a blended rate of return that works. Um, or you're starting, you know, I've seen, for example, a 90% loan to cost bridge, in which is basically debt and equity all priced in and trying to make it work. So I would say, you know, there's plenty of money available, um, but you really have to kind of understand that with lower financials, it definitely might hurt your leverage points with agency lenders.
1: With Fannie and Freddie not having as much money to loan, what other lenders are filling the gap?
0: We touched on this a second ago. You know, really that's live company, that's CMBS. and your acquisitions, that's going to be bridge. Or on hotels, that's going to be bridge. Um, So again, I expect to see a lot of activity with live companies especially. um, But also, you know, with CMBS coming online, you know, typically, you know, you want to go Fannie and Freddie for a lot of reasons. You know, Fannie and Freddie offer you to do a supplemental. You know, kind of, you know, a couple of years after you close it, you might be able to do a supplemental, which, you know, if you increase the value, now you can get pretty, ca- you know, you can cash out some of your investors right away. Um, so that's a big plus with agencies um, that you don't have with CMBS. Sometimes agency servicing is a lot easier to deal with than CMBS servicing. So there's a lot of reasons why people shy away from CMBS. But you know we're you know if Fannie and Freddie really are going to devote fifty percent to affordable, you know, for those that are you know buying non four percent nine percent tax credits or truly affordable deals, it's going to be good to have a number of tools at your disposal.
1: Uh, one of our viewers recently looked at purchasing a manufactured housing community, but was shocked at the prices. What do you feel has led to pricing being so high?
0: That's a good question. So. Um, obviously, you know, manufactured housing is always going to be something that's near your dear to me. Uh, but I think the explosion in pricing really came, you know, so call it 2013, I want to say around that time, uh, you know, Freddie Mac came in and, and, and decided they were going to devote a program to doing three star manufactured housing communities. So what's that mean? So typically the way you, you know, the way you discuss kind of the quality, if you will, of a manufactured housing community is on a scale of one to five. So, uh, you know, maybe it's, uh, I've seen a few of these, and let's just say Seattle, uh, Seattle, Seattle, Washington, uh, really nice, you know, homes, uh, curb cuts, signage, amenities. Um, you're getting probably $600 a pad. You know, I'm just throwing numbers out there, but you're top of the line, really nice parks are considered five-star um, you know, to go to the bottom, a one star would be obviously no amenities, no roads. Um, just it looks like a, a community that really isn't a community. It's just, you know, random houses maybe scattered. Um, you know, that might be a one-star, that's the lowest. But a three-star actually is a space that has been underserved. Now, um, for the you know, prior to 2013, you know, manufactured housing really um really was focused and really leaned hard on CMBS markets, you know, CMBS was available and did a lot of manufactured housing. You know, what you'll start to see is that in 2013, a lot of that was eaten up by, by Fannie and Freddie, but really Freddie. So, uh, Freddie came out with a program where they said, okay, well, these communities that maybe didn't have any amenities, but you know, they did have paved roads, they had signage, they had curb cuts. Um, but most importantly, that 25% that I'm sorry, no more than 25% of the people that lived in those communities uh, rented from it. So, you know, the majority of people that live there own their homes. So, you know, let's just say that 75% of the people own and that 25% of the people rent homes, right? So they really concentrated on that model and said that if you fit that box of having that much um, that, that I'm sorry, that less amount of park owned homes than we're really going to be interested in yet. So, you know, Freddie came in with that program and started to learn and grow and improve. And you started to see more loans. I remember I did try to do some of the early loans and they were really starting to work out the kinks right when it opened. Now, Fannie is seeing what Freddie is doing. And so Fannie had historically focused on the four and five star communities Well, they see what Freddie's doing. And so they kind of did, they said, well, you know, we're going to, we're going to one-up you. And, and what they did was they allowed you to do Fannie Mae, you know, they're, they have a small balanced loan program that is really tailored for loans that are call it 6 million and below. Well, Fannie Mae said, okay, well, we're now going to allow you to uh, use our small balanced loan program for manufactured housing communities that fall beho- below those loan thresholds. Well, with that comes a lot less fees. So, you know, it almost became less expensive to look at a, a Fannie small balance loan and became, you know, a Freddie. So they started kind of having a, an internal battle. But once both Fannie and Freddie came in the market, then you started to see, you know, Blackstone and a lot of other huge equity groups decide, hey, you know, this is now the time for institutional players to get into this space. But what you also started to see is that, well, you know, Fannie and Freddie can allow you up to 80 percent loan to value. Um, So, you know, there's a lot of investors that said, hey, listen, you know, I I might be starting to get outpriced in the apartment market. Maybe I look over here. And so then over time, you know, now that you have institutional players, you have really good agency debt. Then you started to see interest and that interest is only multiplied. And obviously with more interest comes more demand and with more demand comes high
1: pricing. Um, in this work from home climate that we are in with some companies projecting not to even go back to work till next summer, where do you think the future of office development will go?
0: You know, I get this, I get asked this a lot of time, um, is office over and, you know, I can only say that, you know, I have a couple personal anecdotes, you know, number one, you know, I'm really lucky to have been able to, to start black acre and be successful in commercial real estate because I work for some pretty incredible people and as I work for them I was able to walk down the hall and say hey what are your thoughts on this and, and get mentored on almost a daily basis but just again just you know learned every day how do they think how do they approach problems how do they you know how do they act etc and and model that by being in the same office um, you know today you, you can't exactly just every time you know if you're you're someone that's kind of growing in your career. You can't just exactly just keep zooming somebody. Hey, Hey, you know, Hey, is, is, Hey, you know, is, are you available? Are you available? I mean, number one, they might not be wearing pants, right? So that's, a, but number two, it's, it's bothersome versus they have an open door and you can just walk by and say hi. So I think that's one effect of, of just the, you know, from a, a, a young person or um, you know, somebody growing in their career, it's, you're going to be, you know, hamstrung a little bit by not having that, that easily, open office environment. I think number two, what's going to be hard is training. So obviously a lot of the people that are, you know, that are involved in Zoom right now are already ingrained in the company culture. So they understand, you know, they understand how a specific company, uh, you know, once things done, you know, what procedures are in place, et cetera. Um, So for new hires that, you know, don't really know their coworkers at, at an intimate level or that, Uh, you know, you know, haven't, you know, maybe they've done this specific line of work before, but they haven't done it in the way that their current company, you know, operates, there's going to be a learning curve for those new hires. And then third, I'll just say is that, you know, brainstorming. So, you know, there are some that think that you can just jump on a Zoom call and collaborate easily. But, you know, part of collaboration is reading a room, you know, you know, gestures and body language. And there's so much that goes into, you know is it really a good idea or oh my gosh you know I love what you said there let me go with it um, you know there's so many things that happen you know when you get together in those conference rooms now obviously those are the negatives Zoom does a lot and you know if you're if you're an office that that you know maybe has accountants that it's almost you know you can easily work from home and not skip a beat or you know there's a lot of there's a lot of jobs that have functions that you know, that they easily can perform, you know, at home because they don't collaborate. You know, I think, you know, whereas maybe a salesperson uh, needs to have that touch and that feel, you know, if you're somebody that works behind the scenes, well, it doesn't matter where you're you're working behind the scenes. So I can see both sides. I I just think that, you know, for a lot of different reasons, you know, I think there's going to be a bump. I think there might be a reconfiguration, but I just don't see office going away anytime soon.
1: Okay. We have two more questions. Uh, For operators buying apartments today, how do you feel they can best raise future value?
0: That's tough. You know, I think today more than ever, what's really important is operations. I, I think there's so many times, you know, call it 2011, 2012, where you could buy an apartment and then just hand it off to your third party management company and say, you know, Hey, good luck to you. Make me a bunch of money. Right. I think those days are, You know, it might still be there, but you really have to be watching them. I think at every point of your process, you have to be thinking, how can I improve efficiency? So what are the ways to do that? So you're starting to see more and more groups are now looking at cable contracts, Internet contracts, etc. Now, those have always been play, but you're starting to see groups really innovate to make those a, a high income delivering, you know, device. So. You know, right now, you know, internet really is that fourth utility. I mean, you it, you know, we, we, you can work from home because you have internet, but internet connects so many other functions of our lives from a day-to-day perspective. It's not just necessarily an entertainment device. It's a, it's a, a true device needed uh, to function. So, you know, you're starting to see that. Um, but, you know, the technology packages on properties, even, you know, we're talking even 70s and 80s properties, you know, you're starting to see smart locks, Um, so for example, if, you know, if you're, if you have a large scale apartment and, you know, you're doing kind of remote, you know, you know, your, your large scale apartments, you can now, you know, from outside control the AC. So, you know, if you have a vacant apartment, you can remotely say, well, I'm going to maybe keep that at a very low, you know, at a very low temperature in the summer or, or, you know, vice versa, you know, when people are touring it, but then after the tour, you can, you know, increase that, you know, to save your utility costs or, you know, there's other ways you can monitor the property to save on utility costs. Now, uh, so smart technology really is something to that everybody needs to evaluate. And I think, you know, in Texas, you know, there's you know some discussion on lost income from late charges uh, due to the last legislative session. So, um, with that comes, where can I find other opportunities of growth? And 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 even that, it's, you know, I w- I would say you dig into things like, you know, once somebody moves out of your apartment complex then you don't let more than three days pass before somebody that, you know, is in the management company inspect that unit. You know, you need to very quickly, anytime somebody leaves, you need to have eyes in that unit to realize like how bad, how bad is it? You know, another thing that everybody has to consider is are you going to continue doing your um, upgrade program? So a lot of people, when you came out to your lender, you might've you know, had an idea that, Hey, I'm going to hold this asset three to five years. I'm going to put you know five to six thousand dollars a unit. And every time somebody leaves, I'm gonna, you know, fix up the kitchen or whatever. Well, the question is, is that still an active model in the era of eviction moratoriums? Maybe, maybe not. But that's also something to consider is is your your upgrade program. So um, operations, operations, operations on a lot of different levels, I think is gonna really separate people going forward. Because we're an environment, like we don't know, you know, prices today in DFW are you know at, at some of the record highs. So are you going to continue to see that now you're starting to see also a record number of people move here on a regular basis. So, you know, with more people moving in here with more companies moving in here, then you would think, okay, well then there's going to continue to be a high demand to live in apartments. So maybe, maybe not. But, um, I think right now if, if you're going to buy, you know, it's important for you to buy, but you need to buy and you need to make sure when you're running your pro forma, that those expense comps that you're using are expense comps that you can actually run the property with because there's not going to be much room for error. um, like there has been in in the past. So, you know, operational efficiencies, I think you're going to really separate high growth from low growth
1: on a lighter note. What are you most looking forward to in 2021?
0: Okay. I would say I am about to be a father. That's pretty huge. Um, but from a business standpoint, I, I think what I'm excited about is that, you know, investing in apartments, investing in real estate and, and really the Southwest area of the country is going to continue to be hot. And I think that no matter, you know, what, you know, um, we've all kind of dealt with, I think there's still going to be plenty of opportunities. And so I think, um, you know, continuing to bone up and, and improve and underwrite deals and just realize that, you know, even if, even if unfortunately that, you know, there's, there's more to come to pass, no matter how bad it is, there's always going to be, uh, opportunities, you know, and, and I mean, there's still people that made a lot of money during the great Depression. great depression. There's a lot of people that made money in 08 and 09. So, no matter what happens, just, you know, there's going to be opportunities. So just make sure you're prepared to see them. So, well, with that, um, we wish you a very happy 2021. Um, just remember, guys, that it's uh, there's always going to be opportunity. And uh, I hope everybody that listens to this is ready to capitalize on it. Um, with that, what a great year of uh, TCU Neely School Business Real Estate webinars. We hope you enjoyed them. And uh, we have a really exciting slate scheduled for 2021. With that, thank you for listening and uh, we'll talk to you soon.